title of my message this morning is Keeping It Normal. Keeping It Normal. Talking about, I know you've been talking about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And there is so much that I could say. I'm going to actually look at my watch. I don't always do this. Um, and I'm going to try to stick to my notes because one of the reasons I have notes is so that I don't talk forever. But I have so much that I'd like to talk about this morning. And my promise is that I will be done by the Steelers game on Saturday. <laughs> I've been to a, I, you know, I'm not a kid anymore, I think you can see that. So I've, I've been uh, involved in the charismatic movement pretty much since the time I became a Christian. And over the years I've been to a fair number of prophetic meetings. And uh, for those that are familiar, I'm talking about meetings where you would have somebody come in that was recognized as a prophet and he would call people out and give words over those people, and everybody's sitting there hoping they'll get called, at least if the words are good. If the words are discouraging, then you don't want to get called. But if the words are good, everybody's hoping that they will be the next one. And honestly, most of those meetings were really good. A few of them were just really kind of out there. Uh, but one of the things that I did is whenever I would have a word spoken over me is I would record it and save it. And so I have this little file, and a few weeks ago, I was cleaning out files, and I came across that file. And this is uh, one of the part of a word that I was given in January of 2001. So we're talking over 20 years ago. Said this, and get ready. You're going to rub elbows with some stuffy old religious people. You're going to rub elbows with some old denominational people, some stuffy Presbyterians that don't understand the moving of the Spirit. Now, I remember the day that that was given. I remember some of the things that he spoke, but I did not remember that. And what was interesting to me is that over the past couple years, I have spoken a lot at Presbyterian churches. I'm not sure how that happened. Uh, and actually, there are times where I've wondered, you know, is God really in this? Is this something that he's calling me to do? Evidently, he is. And, and so I am a believer in the gift of prophecy, and I'm a believer in how God can use it to encourage and guide and strengthen. But I've also seen a lot more than I have wanted to uh, associated with the charismatic Pentecostal movement. I've seen a lot of craziness. And so what I want to talk about this morning is how we can keep it quote-unquote normal and I, I have three main points that I want to discuss. The first is the logic behind the gifts of the Spirit. The second is what I would call the normalcy of the gifts. And that's assuming that I'm qualified to talk about what it means to be normal. And then the third is uh, just some tips on how we can keep from getting weird when we are dealing with this issue of spiritual gifts. So the first is, is the logic behind the gifts. There's, there's really a, when, when God works, there is a logic behind everything that he does. It's just not always human logic. And so it's important for us to kind of get in his head, so to speak, so that we can understand his thinking. For centuries, God lived beyond the curtain. And what I'm talking about is either in the tabernacle or the temple, he lived in the Holy of Holies. At least that's where his presence was manifested. And between God and the people, there was a veil, a curtain that separated that relationship. When Jesus died on the cross, that veil was torn from top to bottom. And that tearing of that veil meant two things. Number one, 
It meant that all people, regardless of race, gender, ethnicity, background, all people had direct access to the presence of God. And it also meant that, all, that God had direct access to all people. That the Holy Spirit was free to leave that confinement and to go and to dwell in the hearts of men and women. The temple was torn from top to bottom, meaning that this was initiated by God and it was not a matter of humanity forcing its way in to God's presence. It was a matter of God making the choice to come out and to dwell among people, to dwell in people. Through the Mosaic Law, people obeyed God primarily through self-effort. It was about them trying to meet the standards and the requirements of the religious law. And the problem with that was that that obedience created a platform for pride to rear its ugly head. Because when someone would feel like they met the standard, when they lived up to the standard, what would happen? They would begin to congratulate themselves. Pride would begin to take root. Under the new covenant of grace, God provides people with the power to do whatever He calls them to do. And one of the mistakes, one of the huge mistakes that we have made in the evangelical church in the Western world is that we have defined grace only as God's unmerited favor. And it is definitely God's unmerited favor. And I would never disagree with that, and I would never argue that. But grace is also so much more. Grace is power that God gives us to live the Christian life. It is a divine influence that endows us with the ability to do anything that God calls us to do. The Holy Spirit is the agent of grace who gives us that ability. So if we go to 1 Corinthians 12, and we're not going to go there, I'm, I'm sure that you've read it in the series talking about the gifts of the Spirit in 1 Corinthians 12. There are nine gifts that are listed, and the Greek word here is charisma. That's where we get our word charismatic. The Greek word is charisma, which essentially means grace gift. It is a grace gift. If, if I were to take the theological definitions and put them together, it would say a divine gratuity that endows us with miraculous faculty. That sounds educated. A divine gratuity that endows us with miraculous faculty. What's it saying? Well, it's kind of a fancy way of saying that God gives His people powerful gifts so that they can more effectively serve others. The whole idea behind these grace gifts is that God can empower people to serve effectively. And one of the things that we have to remember with this that is so important for us to get is that they are grace gifts, and that's where the unmerited part comes in, is that they are given without merit. That God gives these gifts not because people deserve them, not because people are super spiritual, not because people have achieved this elite status of spirituality. He gives these gifts uh, pretty much because He wants to. And you can't even always figure the logic behind that. That Sometimes He gives very unlikely people powerful gifts. But there is a logic to God's plan overall. Let me read a passage from Ephesians 4, 11-15 that just kind of sets the stage for this. And if you've been in the church, this will be fairly familiar. It says, He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, 
for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wave of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful scheming, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him as the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is talking about what we call the fivefold ministry. And one of the things that we, we need to understand in this is those who are called to fivefold ministry are often people who have natural gifts, uh, natural gifts of communication, natural gifts of leadership. They are called to serve in strategic roles, but the purpose of the fivefold ministry is not to do all the work of the ministry, it is to equip the body to do the work of the ministry. But one of the traps that we fall into when we don't allow the presence of the Spirit to work as God desires is we begin to think of ministry as the work of the elite few. We begin to think of it as those who have seminary degrees, as those who have a certain speaking ability, those who have maybe the musical ability, those who have leadership uh, skills, those types of things. And we develop kind of this mindset of there are those who are the elite ministers and then there are those who are called to fall in line and more or less just support their efforts but that is not the mindset that we're speaking here and and really it takes all i mean obviously god gives people naturally he gives them the ability to break down languages and and do those types of things but he doesn't give that to everyone and so what we need to realize is that just because we don't have those natural gifts, we are not disqualified from being able to serve God effectively and in powerful ways in ministry. And what we've done with this, this mentality is we've, we've created this kind of separation where you have the fivefold people who have the fivefold gifts, and then everybody else supports them financially, everybody else does the physical work of the ministry. Uh, and, and the physical work needs to be done. It's important. It's, it's significant. I'm not arguing that. But we kind of develop this thinking that ministry is just for the elite few. And that is totally contrary to God's design. That same letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthian church in chapter 1, verse, um, verses 26, starting in verse 26, he said this, For consider your calling, brothers, not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. No human being might boast in the presence of God. If you want to understand the logic behind the gifts of the Spirit, understanding this concept is absolutely significant. Let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. You know, one of the things that God absolutely loves to do, I think it's his hobby, 
He loves to work with people who are considered nobodies in the eyes of this world and to do dramatic and powerful things through the lives of people that this world either despises or ignores or neglects. People that really are of no consequence to our worldly way of doing things. God loves to show his glory through those types of people. And honestly, I struggle with that sometimes. Um, to my educated mind, this can be a challenging idea. I've read the writings of some of the great men of God who have powerfully touched our, our world, like D.L. Moody and Smith, Wiggle, Smith Wigglesworth. These were guys who had a powerful influence. But some of them were atrocious spellers. That's A-T-R-O-C-I-O-U-S. Atrocious. I'm an author, and so for me to read something with atrocious spelling, I'm thinking, there's something wrong with this picture. Is God allowed to do this? I mean, is he allowed to use people with bad spelling to change the world? And evidently, he thinks that he is. And if you look at, at somebody like Moody, he was a shoe salesman with a fifth-grade education. I had a fifth grade education by the time I was in sixth grade. <laughs> Smith Wigglesworth was a plumber by trade. He didn't learn to read until he was an adult. He got married and his wife taught him how to read. And yet the Lord used these guys powerfully. And both of them, you can find written accounts, both of them had divine encounters with the Holy Spirit, in which God did something significant in their lives to empower them for the work of the ministry that he had called them to do. And what I'm saying here is that there is room at the table for everybody. There is room at the table for the linguist who can get into words like nobody else can. There's room for the table for somebody with natural leadership gifts or natural speaking ability or with music ability. But there's also room at the table for those who don't have any of those natural gifts to be able to serve God effectively in this world. You might not be an eloquent speaker. You might not have a seminary degree. That does not in any way disqualify you from being used of God in powerful ways because ultimately it is the Holy Spirit who equips you to do the things that God has called you to do. And it is that reliance on the Holy Spirit that is it's the mindset that we must develop, whether you are naturally gifted or not. The mindset that we must develop is one of relying upon Him upon His grace, upon His ability, so that we can serve by His anointing and not just out of our own fleshly abilities. Second thing I want to talk about briefly is the normalcy of the gifts. On the day of Pentecost, not long after Jesus ascended to heaven, the Holy Spirit came upon God's people, rested upon them in a powerful way. To our Western eyes, that story looks like a fantasy. You know, the Holy Spirit came... Uh, tongues of fire, they spoke in other languages. That, that reads like a fantasy novel uh, from our Western mind. But it was something that God obviously did. But the mentality that we've developed uh, largely in the evangelical, evangelical church is that 
It is okay for God to do whatever he wants to do as long as it's in the past. If I can find it written in the Bible, it was fine that he did anything that he wanted to do. If it was something historically that he did way back then, he can do whatever. He, now that's all totally fine. But when it comes to him doing something in our time, in our day, that's a totally different story. Because the reality is that when God moves, in many ways, it makes us uncomfortable. It stretches us beyond what we consider to be normal. But the point that I'm trying to make here is that there is a normalcy. It's just not, not the normalcy of this world. It is the normalcy of the kingdom of God. In Acts chapter 2, after the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, Peter quoted the prophet Joel. He said, In the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. On what flesh? All flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my Spirit, and they shall prophesy. I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. What does that tell me? That tells me that there is a normalcy to the gifts of the Spirit when it comes to the kingdom of God. Tell me something. When did the church mature to the point that we could advance God's kingdom by our natural abilities? When did we mature to the point that we could do it only through education and through eloquent preaching and through analytical teaching and compassionate acts of service? Now, I'm not saying there's a problem with any of those things. Those are all part of the package. Those are all necessary. But if all we have is what comes naturally, how are we going to advance the kingdom of God, which is spiritual? Think about the needs in our world. I mean, I, I did college ministry for years, so I can sit down and I can have an intelligent discussion uh, with somebody about the Bible and about you know, the, the logic behind the kingdom of God and about the gospel. I can have that discussion. But I've also learned that unless the Lord changes hearts, that discussion is going nowhere. And there is a spiritual power that is necessary for those hearts to be changed. And I can also tell you that when God moves supernaturally, maybe through healing or whatever, there is a new openness to the Word of God and the things that we want to present from the Scriptures to the Gospel. So it all is intended to work together. And one of the big mistakes that I think we have made in the Western world is that we have pretty much bought into a mindset that it's all just intellectual or it's all physical or it's all our natural abilities. And we have, by, by and large, we have abandoned the ministry of the Spirit the way that God was intending it to be. And if you look at the world, the church is growing rapidly in many parts of the world, except the Western world. And in those many parts where the church is growing rapidly, we see a dynamic use of spiritual gifts that are fueling that growth. So what this tells me is for our Christianity to be normal in the eyes of heaven, there needs to be a dynamic filling of the Holy Spirit 
not just among the elite few, not just among those that are supposed leaders or, or whatever it is. Your ordinary people need to learn how to abide in the presence of God, to be filled with the Spirit, and to use the gifts. The message that Jesus gave to his disciples just before he went uh, into heaven, before the outpouring on the day of Pentecost, he said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. This is normal when it comes to the kingdom of God. We will never mature to the point that we can rely simply upon human abilities to accomplish the task of advancing God's kingdom in our world. And I am learning, it's a slow lesson that I've been learning over time. Ministry is not about us doing things for God. It is about God giving us an opportunity to join His plans and His purposes. And whatever He calls us to do, He will empower us to do. But I can promise you what He calls us to do will be impossible by our own natural abilities. We can't do it. We can't do it. But by the Holy Spirit of grace, we can do amazing things as we allow God to have His way in our lives. And then number three, I want to talk a little bit about keeping from getting weird. <sighs> like I said, there's, there's a, a logic um, to what God does, and I think what I've said to this point is fairly logical. But anybody that's been around the block a few times uh, in the charismatic Pentecostal circles can tell you that there have been some bizarre things that have been done in the name of God. And I've, I've seen more than my share of it, honestly. And there was a season, to be honest with you, there was a season in my life where I contemplated walking away from it. Uh, where I, not walking away from God, but walking away from anything that was associated with, with charismatic uh, Christianity. And the reason was just all of the craziness that I saw. But I kept coming back to the Scriptures. <laughs> and when I come to the Scriptures, I'm, I, I, just, I can't see how we can possibly advance God's kingdom effectively without the gifts of the Spirit. I just can't see it. And I, I've looked at the arguments. I've looked at the arguments against the use of the gifts today. Those who, who will take the Bible and say, you know, well, you, you should, God no longer does this. And you know what I found in that process is that their theology in those situations is pitifully weak. If you read the Bible for face value, I don't see how you can come away thinking that this was only something that God did 2,000 years ago and He no longer works this way. Taking the Bible for face value. And really, when I read most of the arguments against the belief that God wants to work this way in our day, most of them are experience-based. And what I'm saying is that most of them are looking at the abuses that are out there, and there are abuses, trust me, way more than there should be. Most of them are looking at the abuses and they're saying, well, God doesn't move this way because look at this and this and this. But you take that logic, do you apply that to pastoral ministry? I mean, we've seen a lot of pastors that have gone off the rails, 
do we say, well, God no longer calls people to be pastors because they can get weird. No, we don't adopt that philosophy. We recognize that it's a call of God, and so we labor to help pastors walk in integrity and, and humility and whatever it takes for them to do their jobs well and in a way that's going to represent God. Why doesn't that apply to the gifts of the Spirit? So how do we approach this? How do, how do we keep it from getting weird? Well, I think one of the keys, there's, there's two keys. One of them, and I'll talk about them together. One of them is that we sever the roots of pride. That much of the weirdness that we see take place in the name of God really is pride-based. And the other has to do with focus. And I'll just kind of lump them together. To sever the roots of pride, there are three roots I want to talk about. The first is self-centeredness. The second is what I would call self-sovereignty or the desire to be in control. And the third is self-glorification, the desire to lift ourselves up. When a person has a significant gift, they can easily become self-centered. Really, it's, it's what I would call a celebrity mindset that begins to be instilled. And this is, this is totally natural in our world. Anybody ever been to Steelers training camp? I've been there. And the players are treated like gods. I mean, that, that's the, the truth of it. People fawn over them like they are gods. And some of them actually begin to believe it. And this celebrity mindset permeates pretty much everything in our world. You know, whether it be actresses and actors or uh, different notable people, athletics, it, it can be a whole lot of different realms. But it also thrives in religious environments. When you have somebody who is the next best thing to slice bread, that's kind of an old saying, but uh, you have somebody who is gifted and has a powerful ministry or has a, a track record of success, it's very easy to turn that person into a celebrity. People begin to fawn over the individual, and, and, and really sometimes the individual begins to actually believe it about himself or about herself. And it just creates this totally unhealthy scenario uh, where it's all about people or key people rather than about God's design and about the true use of the gifts, the way God designed it to be. What was Paul's message in 1 Corinthians 12 and 13? He talked about the gifts, and then he talked about what? Love. There's a reason those go together. There's a reason that the love chapter is sandwiched between 1 Corinthians 12 and 14 that are talking about the gifts, because the motive behind the use of the gifts is always love. It is always service. It's about accomplishing God's purposes on earth. And God blesses us powerfully in giving us the gifts, but here's the thing. It is never about us. If God gives me a gift, if He gives you a gift, that gift is not for you nearly as much as it is for the people around you. It is about love. It is about service. And we need to maintain that mentality. And this is why Paul put that right there in the middle of all of that. There needs to be a purity to our motives that the temptation will be there, but it's about love. 
The second root is the root of control, or, or the root of, you can think about it in terms of power. Power is intoxicating. I'm not saying it can be intoxicating, I'm saying it is intoxicating. There is something intoxicating about power, and if we are not careful, we will find ourselves on a power trip when God starts to do miraculous things in our lives. So there's two parts to this. The first is that you choose your focus wisely. You choose your focus wisely. And this, this really applies to more than just the control issue. But in Luke chapter 10, verses 17 and 20, Jesus had sent out 70 believers to do the work of the ministry. He had empowered them to work in significant ways. And they came back, and it says the 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. What was going on? There was a little bit of a power trip happening here. Even the demons are subject in your name. And Jesus said to them, I saw heaven fall like light, or I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. What was Jesus saying? He's saying, guys, you are absolutely right. I have given you miraculous ability, but don't make the focus on what you can do. Make the focus on what God has done for you. There's a mindset there that Jesus was communicating. Something similar applies with the whole gift of prophecy. You know, I, I, prophetic ministry plays an important place in the body of Christ. I, I believe in it. I've seen it used so powerfully. But some people have become so focused on the prophetic, so absorbed with prophetic ministry, that they miss the heart of what it is all about. The last presidential election, you remember the one that happened a few years few years, few months back. Uh, anybody remember that? There were more than 150 self-proclaimed Christian prophets that declared that Donald Trump would be reelected. 150. After the election, a small handful recanted and said that they'd missed it. And I mean, that's God gives grace. We all make mistakes. I, I get that. I've missed it myself. So, you know, there needs to be that humility to know when we, to admit whenever we failed or whenever we've gotten it wrong. But this, this isn't what, to me, was crazy about it. What was crazy was that those small handful who recanted, those small handful who said, I was wrong, took all kinds of abuse for saying that they were wrong. One of them, Jeremiah Johnson, I, don't, I really hadn't heard of his ministry until this. Uh, he was one of the ones who came out and said that I got it wrong. And he posted this on Facebook in January, and it's since been deleted, but it, it's out there. This is what he wrote. Over the last 72 hours, I have received multiple death threats and thousands upon thousands of emails from Christians saying the nastiest and most vulgar things I have ever heard toward my family and ministry. 
I've been labeled a coward, a sellout, a traitor to the Holy Spirit, and cussed out at least 500 times. We have lost ministry partners every hour in counting. After publicly repenting on January 7th, I fully expected to be called a false prophet, and in some circles, in some circles, but I could have never dreamt in my wildest imagination that so much satanic attack and witchcraft would come from charismatic slash prophetic people. I have been flabbergasted at the barrage of continued conspiracy theories being sent out every minute our way and the pure hatred being unleashed. To my great heartache, I am convinced that parts of the charismatic slash prophetic movement are far sicker than I could have ever dreamed of. When I read that for the first time, I had to go back and read it again. I was like, seriously? People actually did this? People actually made death threats? People actually uh, swore at you and, and, and threatened your family? That type of thing? Can we agree that something here, that the focus is totally, totally wrong? I don't, I don't care where you are from. Nothing about what he wrote resembles Christianity. Repentance does for him to say, hey, I screwed up, you know, forgive me. That resembles Christianity. But for thousands of people to bombard him with negative messages to attack him uh, because he, f- he fessed up for, for making a mistake here, there's something desperately sick about that. I'm not in this blindly. I understand that God works powerfully through prophetic ministry. But I also recognize there is a lot out there that it, I, I think you'd have to call it witchcraft because it really is not Christian in my mind. Another key in this, with this root of control, is submitting ourselves to biblical authority. It's being accountable to leaders over us, people who have been around the block a few times, people who are mature in their faith, people who can call us uh, into account in a good way uh, to help us develop our gifts so that they are healthy, uh, to, to say, hey, you know, that was a good word, or maybe there's something that wasn't right about that, or I'm noticing something with your attitude that concerns me. It is absolutely vital that we have these type of accountability relationships so that we can pursue the use of the gifts in a way that honors God and the way that makes a genuine impact that reflects His Spirit. We, uh, our, our church, I've been part of the summit for a long time. And it used to be common way back in the early 80s uh, for people to give messages in tongues during the service. And then uh, the general pattern was that somebody would give a message in tongues, stand up, give a message in tongues, and somebody else would interpret that message as a prophetic word. Well, we, we had one woman who was in the church, had been there for a long, long time. She would get up, give a message in tongues, and then she always did her own interpretation, and it was always the same exact interpretation. And I, I can remember one Sunday in particular where you know the, the Spirit was moving, and it was just really... Uh, a powerful time we could sense God's presence and she got up and gave her word and it just everything it was like letting the air out of a balloon everything went flat 
So it was just obvious that there was something that wasn't right with her. And so some of the leaders sat down with her and talked to her about it. You know how she responded? I'm gone. I'm gone. She got mad and she left. That was the last that we ever saw of her. Which tells me that that needed to happen. That somebody needed to sit her down and say, hey, I have concerns. And I think that this is absolutely one of the keys in all of this, is there needs to be a humility for us to say, hey, you've got the freedom to speak into my life as a leader or as a leadership team. If there's something that concerns you, please come and let me know. When we have that type of freedom, it will protect us and it will protect those around us in a huge way. And then finally, I want to talk about severing the root of self-glorification. Self-glorification. Not only is power intoxicating, glory is intoxicating. It's intoxicating. And here we find another huge danger with spiritual gifts. It is very easy for us to forget that spiritual gifts are nobody gifts. They're nobody gifts. God gives them to people who are often nobodies in the eyes of the world. But we often think of spiritual gifts as a badge of honor or a mark of spirituality or uh, something that elevates us above everybody else. If you go back and you study the history of the healing movement in the United States, and I've, I've done this uh, going back and, and just reading about some of the early leaders uh, in, the, in Christianity who had powerful healing ministries, there were a few of them who went off the rails because they began to see themselves as being spiritually elite. They began to see themselves as a notch above everybody else. And as soon as that mindset enters in, spiritual decay begins even as the power of God is being released. As soon as that elitist mindset takes root, spiritual decay begins to set in. Even when things are happening in exciting ways. Now here's where it gets fun. I talked about 1 Corinthians chapter 1, where God says not many of you are mighty, not many noble, not many powerful, right? What happens when God gives a powerful gift to someone who is insecure? Because those people from 1 Corinthians 1 are often insecure people. They know that they're lacking by the standards of the world. And the real danger and the temptation for those individuals is that they would begin to latch onto those gifts and say, look, I'm somebody, and this gift proves it. I might not be anybody to you, but this gift proves that I am somebody. And when God begins to move in powerful ways through you, and everybody begins to say how wonderful you are, do you know in the depths of your heart that this is a grace gift that I did not earn, that I do not deserve, that does not put me above everyone else? For someone who has spent an entire life being a nobody, it doesn't take much for the look-what-I-can-do mentality 
to begin to take root. And I think that is one of the huge dangers. Spiritual gifts do not validate us. We are validated by our relationship as the sons and daughters of the King of Glory. That is what validates us. Everything else is love. Everything else is service. But our validation comes from that relationship as children of the King of Glory. That is what validates us. And it is so important that we get that settled in our hearts. If we don't do that, we become self-focused. It becomes all about us. I think that we should want to be used in powerful ways. I think that we should want God to move in us and through us. I think that we should care so much about our neighbor that we want God to use us with the gift of healing or the gift of prophecy or word of knowledge or word of wisdom. Whatever it is, I think that we should have those desires. But if we do not settle this issue of identity in our hearts, we will find ourselves corrupting the good things that God desires to do and to use. And that's what I think has happened in large part in the prophetic movement or whatever you want to call it. Because I'm not sure that I would even call it Christian with some of them. I teach a lot about identity. And I don't do that because it's meaningful and relevant. Yes, it's meaningful and it's relevant. But I do it because I understand how these things work. I understand that there is a need for people to go from being nobodies in the eyes of the world to being used powerfully of God and not being puffed up in the process. If we can learn this process of overcoming pride, if we can learn to put aside the self-centeredness and walk in love, if we can learn to let go of control and submit to the leading of the Lord, if we can learn to honor Him above all, to find our security as the sons and daughters of the living God, if we can do that and put aside the self-glorification, then we can see the Lord work powerfully in our lives. And I'll close with this final thought. The Lord does not give of His gifts sparingly. He wants to endow all of us in miraculous ways. Ways that are beyond our natural thinking. Ways that are beyond our natural abilities. But it has to be done in a way that we walk in humility as a way of life. And we don't use those gifts as a platform to exalt ourselves. If we can get this combination right, if we can get the combination of the faith to believe that God wants to use us as individuals in ways beyond what we could ever imagine, and we can combine that with the humility of knowing that it's all about Him, there's no limit to what the Lord can do in and through us and in and through you as a church. Let's pray. I'm going to take just a few minutes and linger. There's some soul searching here. 
You know, we deal with the inner life. It's not always comfortable. I think it needs to happen. We don't, we don't want to be introspective. We don't want to be navel gazers where we're constantly looking at ourselves and our every thought and what we're doing. But at the same time, we want to have a humility to recognize that if there's something that is off kilter, it needs to be addressed. And in particular, we all have struggles with pride. Now, no matter how much we emphasize humility, we all have struggles with pride. And so what I want to do is I just want to take a few minutes and make a fresh surrender to the Lord. And I'm not asking you to eradicate pride from your life. That, you'll boast about becoming humble. What I'm asking you is to just do a fresh submission to the Lord and say, God, as David prayed, if there be any hurtful way in me, Lord, deal with it. Take it away. Prepare my heart so that you can use me however you desire to use me. And as we're as you're doing that, I think there are some of you here that you've just been so close to any kind of supernatural experience of the Holy Spirit. And that can be another form of pride as well. And so I think as you're just seeking the Lord during this time, um, there may be some of you that, Lord, I just haven't been open to certain parts of your Bible that have been really clear because of the kind of stuff that Bob was talking about today. Stay up here, Tim. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord God, for your amazing design for our lives. Lord, that we don't have to be anything special in the eyes of this world to be used by you. Lord, we don't have to be immensely gifted we don't have to be popular. We don't have to be recognized. We don't have to be anybody. Lord, and yet you desire to use us to advance your plans and your purposes. And so, Father, first of all, Lord God, we surrender ourselves to you afresh. And we give you the freedom to use us, Lord God, however you desire to use us. Father, forgive us for the times that we've been resistant, the times that we've resisted your gifts. Lord, the times that we've been self-centered and said, no, God can't use me that way. Lord, we give you the freedom to be God and to do whatever you want to do in us and through us. But Lord, we also give you our natural gravitation towards pride, our natural self-centeredness, our, our natural desire to control, our natural delight in glory, Lord God. We give those things to you, Lord, and we give you the freedom to do surgery. We give you the freedom to work in our hearts, Lord God, to, to erase the insecurity, to firmly establish our identities in you, Lord God. And we pray that these things would work hand in hand, Father God. That you would teach us the way of humility, that you would make it to be a part of our, the fabric of our being, and that you would empower us in increasing measures, Lord God, to touch the world around us because the need is desperate, Lord. Lord, may we be a people that you are free to use to do the things that you desire to use, do, Lord God, without us corrupting it, Father God. Lord, come, have your way in our lives, Lord God.